Okay, I'm going to read now from uh, Isaiah chapter 48, um, which, if you've got one of those large church Bibles, is on page 723, 723. Isaiah chapter 48, starting at verse 16. I'm reading from the New International Version, so it might be a little bit different in one or two places, but essentially it says the same thing. Come near me and listen. Sorry. Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the Sovereign Lord has sent me with his Spirit. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea, your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off, nor destroyed from before me. So that is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Um, When I spoke from uh, Isaiah chapter 40, I think about three or four months ago, um, I gave a little summary of what a prophet is, what does a prophet do? And I'm going to say it again because um, there may be someone uh, listening uh, on the internet um, who perhaps has a different idea of what a prophet is and what a prophet should do than uh, what God called men to be prophets. So who was this man, Isaiah? He lived about 700 years before, 700, 750 years before Jesus was born, lived in what we now know as Israel. Um, he, was man, he was a man called by God to be God's servant and God's mouthpiece. God would speak to his people, the Jewish nation, um, and he would do it through uh, different prophets. Uh, a lot of the Old Testament part of the Bible is Uh, spoken uh, and it's been written down by these prophets and the special thing about the prophets were that they God spoke to them and they spoke to his people exactly what God wanted to say to his people so when we read uh, in the Bible what for example here Isaiah is saying It is exactly what God wanted him to say. And we often see 
when we're reading that we might see the words, thus says the Lord, or this is what the Lord said. Um, Now, God warned prophets and he warned um, self-appointed prophets, people who decided that they were going to have a go at um, forecasting the future. They were going to have a go at um, saying what they thought um, they'd say and then passing it off as actually what God wanted to say. God warns them very seriously. Um, and if I, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Deuteronomy. This is a, a very serious warning um, from God to those men who um, decides who decide that they, they might like having a go at being a prophet as well. This is what God says, Deuteronomy chapter 18. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. In other words, that person is a false prophet. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So, um, the reason I think it's worth mentioning that is because maybe someone, people who have been to the church before, maybe people who are listening this evening, maybe they've been to a different church, they've heard uh, someone speaking at the front and who calls himself Prophet Jones or Prophet Smith, claim, claiming that they have a hotline to God. Um, and... God has told me this, they will say, God has told me that. And if people are hearing for the first time, they may well be taken in by the person saying those sort of things, especially if that person is quite a powerful, convincing personality. Um, But the way God speaks to us authoritatively, the way God speaks to us in his truth, is through what he has already brought about in the Bible. This we can rely on, um, and this is the source of our authority and truth. God has preserved this over the centuries for those who want to find out about himself, find out about the Lord Jesus Christ, and for those who are already Christians, it is our, you could say it's our guidebook, our handbook to living the sort of life that God wants us to live. Yes, Those of us who are Christians, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds. He prompts us, perhaps, to go and have a word with someone about about Jesus. He he convicts us of our sin. He may encourage us to to change the way that we're living. Um, Speaks to our conscience as well. But... If we read, I'll read it actually, it's just two or three verses. But God here confirms that he has already given us 
everything that we need in the Bible and in the working of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's just reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, well our knowledge of him comes from the Bible, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, the knowledge and his promises, through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, the word of God, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Everything that we need is in the Bible when it's accompanied by the work of God's Holy Spirit. We don't need Johnny Come Lately's pretending to be a prophet, saying they've got a hotline with God and all we need to do is do what they're saying. If you've ever uh, come up, been in a church where that sort of person is there, um, well, what I'm saying now and what God says in when we read in Deuteronomy, steer well clear of such people. Turn your backs on them. Stop going to the so-called church where they might be speaking. Ask God to help you find a church which believes in the authority of the Bible and doesn't rely on the made-up speeches of so-called prophets. Right. Now, one feature of the history of God's people throughout the Old Testament times was that as far as obedience to God, loyalty to God, worship, being faithful and being thankful to God goes, they were more or less on a roller coaster. One minute you're up, one minute you're down. One minute they're praising God and thanking him for delivering him, for delivering them from their enemies. The next thing, they've turned their back on God and they're conducting alliances, um, uh, um, with their forces, joining them with other nations to defend themselves against a greater nation. Instead of turning first to God and asking his help, they, for whatever reason, they turned aside and had these treaties with other nations. And God must have been grieved by that. God is the only one that can truly protect them and help them win the battles. But rather than turn to God and ask for his help, they're having these alliances with other nations. Now, really, what that shows is, it probably shows a number of things, but one of the things I think it shows is that they have forgotten, perhaps willfully forgotten, or just out of short memories, or they don't dwell on the past at God's faithfulness. They've forgotten about God. They've gone their own way, thinking that doing things their way is going to be more successful than coming to God in the first place. Now, the word, the title I gave, if you like, the stubbornness and delusion of the human heart. Now, they were deluded in thinking they were better off 
having this alliance with other nations. And how many times in our lives, the life of each of, lives of each of us here um, this evening, how many times have we deluded ourselves into thinking that we know better than God? I've done it millions of times probably. Perhaps we all have. How many times do we think in an ordinary day life perhaps that we know better than God? We delude ourselves into thinking that. You see, with God's people, the Hebrews, the Jews, God had demonstrated his love in their history. He proved his love, he proved his power, he proved his faithfulness by rescuing them time and time again from their enemies. He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He kept them safe throughout their time in the desert. He led them into the promised land. They had a unique relationship with the creator and the sustainer of the universe, which no other nation had. I suspect they didn't appreciate it. Well, they knew they had a God. They knew that the only nation that had a God was their nation. They knew that God fought for them. They knew that God had given his commands to them. They knew that God had this brought into being this series of sacrifices where he was prepared to um, put aside their sins for the time being until, the Messiah, until their Messiah, until the Messiah of um, Gentiles as well would, would come down and make that ultimate sacrifice. But that didn't seem to be enough for them. They wanted a king like other nations. Why can't we have a king like this country and that country and the other countries? They didn't realise that they had someone far greater than another human being with a crown on his head. They had the maker, the sustainer, the creator of the universe who could do all things for them, who would give them wisdom, who would give them advice and would bless them. But no, they, and God, was, God must have been aggrieved when they asked for a king. They were guilty of worshipping idols and false gods. And again, they, they must have forgotten how God did, did these great miracles when they were slaves in Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh said, okay, off you go, you can go. In effect, we're fed up with, with you. Go and worship God somewhere else. He delivered them through the Red Sea in a dramatic way. All of these things that happened in the life of God's people, it almost seems they turned a blind eye towards them. And again, I think, I think this is relevant because if we look back on, if each one of us here looks back on our lives, surely we can see many, many, many occasions when we realise that we have been foolish, we realise that we've been um, disobedient, we realise we've been ungrateful to God, but he has been, sometimes, yes, he needs to discipline us and 
When God disciplines us, it's usually because he's gentle at first. He'll bring another brother or Christian sister along to us to, to speak to us, to give us some advice, point out to us where, we've got, where the Bible says we've gone wrong. But sometimes God has allowed us to make a fool of ourselves. God has allowed us to suffer the um, inconvenience and the punishment of our sin. And, but we can, I'm sure that we can all look back at the times when God has, in this great providence, in his great care for us, and his great long-suffering for us, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. We know if God did treat us as our sins deserve, we would have gone to hell a long time ago. But he is a merciful God. He is a, a God who is patient with us who is a God who wants us to repent. And for the person who knows they need to repent, God will help them do that. His spirit will prompt us. His spirit will encourage us to humble ourselves before him. Now, God didn't turn a blind eye to the foolishness and the disobedience of his people. He didn't turn a blind eye. He used their enemies to punish him. And to humble them. God wanted them to learn a lesson. That their disobedience, their idolatry and, and their attempts to be independent from God. They, they would suffer if they conducted themselves in that way. They had God wanting them to learn the lesson that, that their national life, their religious life was completely dependent upon God upon him and that it was futile, it was useless looking to other nations for support and for help now if you've still got your Bible open at um, Isaiah round about Isaiah 48 um it will, it will be on, it's, it's either the same page as we looked at before when I read it, or the page beforehand. So if, you can, if you've got it in front of you, um, it, don't worry if you haven't, but it's, we're going to look at um, chapter 48, and I'm just going to read out um, the first half a dozen or so verses. And in the version I've got, this, like the heading to this chapter is Stubborn Israel. Stubborn Israel. This is what God says. Listen to this, O house of Jacob, house of Israel. You who are called by the name of Israel and come from the line of Judah. In other words, they had this great history of their nation and how God founded it and how God um, blessed the people. And how God was always with them. You who take oaths in the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel, but not in truth or righteousness. You who call yourselves citizen of the holy city and rely on the God of Israel. The Lord Almighty is his name. So their religion had come to be rather formal. It was to a certain extent 
keeping up appearances. It was rather superficial and outward appearances perhaps for them more important than a living faith and obedience to their God. They had relied on being Jewish. They worshipped at the temple. They prayed to the God of Israel. They were in the line of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and they thought that this was enough. And now I wonder if there's a lesson there for us. Is our religion, is our what we think about God, how we are moved by perhaps when, we, when we're singing hymns or when we're reading the Bible ourselves or whether we are um, listening to someone speak, is our religion rather formal or is our, um, are we fully involved with our heart and our mind and our soul? Just coming through the, the doors of this building doesn't make anybody a Christian. So we just need to examine ourselves, I think, um, just for our own health, really, to, for our own benefit, says. Um, okay. Um, now, I just want to go back to those uh, other words that I read in Isaiah 48. starting at verse 17 again. This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like its numberless grains. Their name would never be cut off nor destroyed from before me. It's, you can, I think if we look at that verse 18, which says, if only you had paid attention to my commands... It's, you can almost, I think you can almost feel the, the pain in what God is saying here. He, he's, he sees the history of his people. He sees where they go wrong. He sees when they turn against him. He sees when, because of their disobedience, they fail and they are uh, defeated in battles um, by other nations. Uh, take Babylon, for example, the, 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 this um, pagan nation destroyed Jerusalem um, and the people are heartbroken many of them are taken back as captives God sees all that and he's, it's, he's in effect I think he's saying to himself if only they had listened to me if only they had followed the, the advice of the prophets I sent to speak to them they wouldn't be in such an awful mess that they're in it, it's, I think we, we get a, a bit of a feel of the pain that God is feeling when he sees his own people taken captive, when he sees them worshipping idols, when he sees uh, the men and the women intermarrying with um, men and women of, of um, other, other countries. And, it, and in, it's very simple, isn't it? I, 
it's very, very simple. This, these half a dozen verses here, maybe less than that actually, four verses I think it is. He, first of all, he says to them, I am your redeemer. I am the one who redeems you. I am the one who brings you out of that pit of sin and degradation. He's not simply the God who is the creator of the whole universe. universe. He is their redeemer, the holy one of Israel. And again, he says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. Just a simple reminder of uh, what we read in Proverbs at the beginning um, of the talk. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, 7 and 8. It's very simple that what God is telling us, what God is advising us to do here. We trust in the law with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And we come back to this word delusion. Even Christians can be self-deluded. There are times perhaps when we're tempted to do certain things and we say, well, yeah, I know, but... I know it's not perfect. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not perfect. And, and we go off and do something which is foolish. We think by doing that, we think by putting our trust in our own ability to reason that we're cleverer than God. Is there anyone here who hasn't ever done that? Hasn't ever um, made excuses for committing sin because we think we know better than God? We delude ourselves if we do. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. What enables us to live godly lives? It is the power of God's Holy Spirit applying his truth, the truth that we find in the Bible to our minds and our hearts. What is it that enables us to, to live in, that, in the godly, godly way that he wants? It's when we acknowledge that it's not our own cleverness, it's not our own smartness, it's not our own the, uh, holiness which we have um, generated ourselves. It's God, the power of God within our lives. And so the person, the person perhaps who comes through the, the doors of this church or any other church which... Um, believes in the Bible, which believes in that Christ is um, the Son of God. He died and he rose again. It's the person who believes that because they read it can have their life straightened out. They can have their thinking straightened out. They can. God is able to to stop them deluding themselves. God is able to stop them thinking they know better. And follow these very, very, these very, very simple guidelines that we're looking at in Proverbs now, and that we read earlier on in Isaiah chapter 48. It's God is saying, "Look, if you trust me, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that He is the Son of God, then I can transform your life. And I can. The only way that God, the Father, is able to transform a person's life is because." The Lord Jesus Christ willingly took upon himself your sin 
and my sin on the cross. And he was punished, not for the sins he did, because he was perfect, he was God, he could not sin, but for the sins of all of those who will trust in him. So a person can come into a meeting of, of a church, they come through the doors, a sinner, come through the doors, someone who is perhaps at the end of their tether, they, they condemn themselves, they've got a, a past which is um, as black as night. And yet by hearing and trusting what God has told them, what Jesus has done, they can walk out the door a new creature. They can be born again, not in the way that a baby is born, but through the power and the work of God's Holy Spirit. Completely forgiven, completely accepted by God through Jesus Christ. So, just let's just remember that one sentence. If only you had paid attention to my commands, says God, through the prophet Isaiah, your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Many people are dogged by their past. They get no rest from thinking about their past. It's always on their mind. The guilt that they, they may have rarely goes away from them. The shame that they have rarely goes away from them. But God is able to take that away. God is able, if you like, to clear all of the junk and the rubbish from the past and give them a peace which is unavailable to them by any, from any other way other than trusting in Jesus. If you know that he has taken your sin away, he's taken it upon himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ was punished by the Father, all of, all of the righteous punishment and justice was laid upon Jesus. He suffered so that we could go free, so that we can have our past completely cleansed.